Amen. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Faith. Thank you, um, Marissa. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. We uh, recently started a new uh, Sunday evening series on uh, being wise in a uh, foolish world, a series focused in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, of course, is the book of the wisdom of God. It ought to be a special focus of each of us as believers in our uh, personal reading. I I hope that you have some special plan to uh, read through Proverbs regularly. I personally read uh, 14 chapters every month, uh, and then that way really lets me, I read half a chapter a day, and then if I mess up a couple days other than February, I turn out okay, and I read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in that manner, and uh, you need to find out a way that works for you. Uh, my desire through this series is that each of us would be wise beyond our years. That if you're here and you're 10, uh, that you would be wise for a 10-year-old. And if you're here and, and you're 80, that you would be wise for an 80-year-old. I've known some people who were actually 40 but acted 17. Uh, growing older is inevitable. Becoming wiser is a choice. And I want to be myself the kind of person who gets wiser as I get older, and I think you do too. That's a part of why you're here. Last week, we began talking about what it means to behave ourselves wisely in our own homes. Remember, the blessing or curse of God uh, on our home is determined by whether we choose to be wise or foolish in the way we handle our homes and families. No one wants to leave an inheritance of wind Remember, we talked about he that troubleth him, so his house uh, leaves an inheritance of wind. No one wants that. But sometimes, unfortunately, people choose to do that, and they behave themselves unwisely and sometimes even foolishly in their own home. And we began to talk about the things that characterize a home that God would consider to be handled wisely. Remember, we talked about it's a home that values morality and faithfulness to our spouse. It is a home where we leave an inheritance of the most important things. Yes, we may leave houses and riches, but most importantly, all of us can leave the things that really matter to our children and grandchildren. And tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off, and I want to cover three more things that God defines as wise in our homes. What is it that characterizes the homes of the wise? Remember, in an ideal world, we would have learned these and saw them modeled in the home where we grew up. But practically speaking, uh, many of us did not learn these and did not see them modeled in the home where we grew up. And what we need to do is we need to learn them and decide that we're going to pass something different on to our children and grandchildren than was passed to us. And in our culture today... We are going to have to do the things that God defines as wise on purpose. I hope you recognize that much of what goes on in our culture is slowly poisoning our homes and our families and our children. What is it that characterizes the homes of those God would consider wise? I want to learn them. I want to apply them. Go ahead and stand with me tonight, if you would, in honor of God's Word, and the title of my thought is a lot of thought went into this like usual, Wisdom for the Home, Part 2. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25. Proverbs fifteen twenty-five. The Lord 
will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. You see, it is not just that God curses the house of the wicked and blesses the habitation of the just. We see here that the Lord destroys the house of the proud. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want destruction for the future of my marriage. I don't want destruction for the future of my children. Or if I'm ever blessed to have grandchildren, I don't want destruction for their future. That means that I must, if I would behave myself wisely, learn to walk more humbly at home. Thank you, might be seated. What characterizes the house of someone with the wisdom of God? Number one, they have a humble attitude toward God and each other's failures and differences. See, another one of the common themes in in Proverbs is uh, this issue of pride. Some form of the word pride or proud occurs 14 times. Some form of the word humble or lowly eight times in the book of Proverbs. Let me ask you tonight, do you walk humbly or proudly as you handle your home, your family, your parents, your children, your grandchildren? Now, there are few things that are more misunderstood among Christian people than humility and pride. And we could certainly spend a whole series of messages on each of those, carefully defining those biblically and understanding them. And to be honest with you, I talk about those things quite a lot because the sin of pride is very common in the church. Now, I understand that I get a lot more amens when I speak about the sins that are going on in our culture that are a little less common in the church. But understand that I think if you and I talk about the things that are relevant to us and you and I work on our own lives, I think we'll be helped a lot more than preaching on what everybody else is doing, so to speak. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because uh, one of the 12 sections I have Proverbs broken up into as we go through this is attitudes that God considers wise and foolish. And we will spend some more time on wisdom and, uh, I'm sorry, on humility and pride at that time. Tonight we're talking about wisdom in our homes. But I do want to say this. There is a kind of confidence that pleases God, and then God hates pride. Turn back just a few pages to Proverbs chapter 6. I personally call this God's hate list. You can call it whatever you want. It's why I didn't think God hated anything. Well, you made that God up in your own mind. (laughs) Come on. If you get to decide what God is, then God is small. If God is the omnipotent creator of the universe, then you and I must seek and find out who he says he is and embrace that. Notice what he says in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Number five, feet that be swift and running to mischief. Number six, a false witness that speaketh lies. Number seven, he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, if you and I were sitting and writing a list that we think is God's hate list, we would not put things on there that we do. But three of these, interestingly enough, have to do with our mouth. Two of them have to do with something that's inside of us, and two have to do with our actions. And one of them that has to do with something inside of us is number one in his list. God says that I hate a proud look. 
Now, it may surprise some people uh, the things that are not on this list. But the fact of the matter is, is Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. There's a kind of self-depreciation that is good and pleases God, but don't ever think that humility means to think that you're a worthless piece of trash, because that is not humility, and that attitude about yourself doesn't please God either. All of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and want to please Him are constantly battling pride in our own heart. Pride destroys our house. You see, when you're proud in your house, you're never going to seek any counsel uh, for making big decisions because you're too proud. You see, when you're too proud in your house, you're not going to ever admit your faults or say that you're sorry. By the way, if you don't ever apologize to your spouse or children, it's not because it's hard for you to apologize. You're just proud. If you're proud in your house, you don't ever seek help when you're having problems. You're more concerned that someone might know that you have a problem than you are fixing the problem. And pride destroys our house. Pride is excessive self-esteem. Pride is conceit over perceived a real superiority of beauty, talent, accomplishments, or position. Pride looks down its nose at others that you deem to be less important or inferior to you. Pride might be overlooked by much of our culture, and it may even be overlooked by some Christian people, but it is not something God overlooks. Pride destroyed Lucifer, and it destroys us, because pride in our home destroys our house. Why is it that proud children and proud teenagers and proud young adults still living with children and proud parents and proud grandparents destroy our homes? I'm going to turn back to chapter 13. Notice what he says in verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Mark it down. If there's any contention of your, in your home, there is pride involved in some way. Only by pride cometh contention. Uh, turn up a few pages to Proverbs 28. Notice what he says in Proverbs 28, verse 25. It says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Notice that contention and strife have roots in pride. Now, in our homes, we have a lot of reasons to not get along. The fact of the matter is, is that amongst our own family and within those people that we're with the most, uh, it is easiest to have conflict and contention and strife because the faults and flaws of everyone involved are readily seen. Sensible people want a peaceful home and peaceful family relationships and pride brings strife. By the way, that's one of the reasons why the first year of marriage is often so difficult. You see more of the picture of yourself and of your spouse than you could see before. And this strife and pride in our house, uh, it gives us a challenge. Go back to chapter 10.
Notice what he says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. By the way, that doesn't mean you redefine what God says is sin. What that means is you don't go blabbing their sins, and you don't, once they've confessed them, you don't just keep bringing them up. See, pride is the opposite of that. Pride causes strife. Pride brings hatred. Pride brings contention. When we have the right kind of love, the love of God in our house, we respond differently. You see, the simple answer to a more peaceful family is to walk more humbly and to love each other more. See, love and hatred look at and respond to the same faults and disagreements differently. Humility and pride look at and respond to the same faults and disagreements differently. See, a husband who humbly considers his own faults as a leader is far more patient with the faults of his wife. A wife who humbly considers her faults following her husband's leadership is more patient with the faults of her husband when he fails in some way. By the way, teenagers, you will find yourself to be a lot more patient with your parents when you walk more humbly. You might be amazed someday how you look at things differently. See, humble dealings with the faults of people in our own family is one of the things that characterizes the home of the wise. Let me ask you tonight, are you an expert at finding others' faults? An expert at finding everything your spouse doesn't do right, everything your children don't do right? Uh, Are you looking more carefully at your faults than theirs? It's likely... You're proud if you're focused on their faults. Is there a lot of strife and contention in your house and in your family relationships? Someone or everyone involved is responding with pride rather than humility and love. Are you someone who tries to walk humbly? Remember, salvation comes when we humble ourselves before God and receive Jesus as Savior, repent of our sins and believe on Him. But uh, a life that is blessed and peaceful in our homes comes when we yield ourselves to humility before God instead of pride. The first thing tonight that characterizes the house of someone uh, who is walking in the wisdom of God is they walk humbly at home. What else characterizes the house of someone who walks with the wisdom of God? And back in chapter 15 again. Notice what it says in verse 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But he that hateth gifts shall live. Notice the second thing that characterizes wisdom in our house. Uh, you recognize the danger of greed, and you avoid being greedy. Remember we talked about uh, that he that troubleth his house uh, leaves an inheritance of wind? One of the things that troubles our house is to live a greedy life at home. You know, I wonder if we guard against greed like we ought. You see, greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something. We only sometimes think of greed in terms of money, and certainly uh, money is one of the things we can easily be greedy about. But greed can affect every area of our life. By the way, I hope you understand that a company making profit is not necessarily greed. Excessive profit is greed. 
Greed is different from a healthy desire to better yourself or a healthy desire to make a good wage for the kind of work you do or to want a better skill or a better job or better uh, education. Those are not greedy until they become your excessive and selfish focus of your life. And then any of those and all of those can become greed. Greed is a sister to covetousness. And the tenth of the moral commandments that God gave us is simply this. Thou shalt not covet. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's spouse. You're not supposed to covet your neighbor's house. You're not supposed to covet, since we don't drive donkeys today, you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's car. And God warns us because each and every one of us in our heart can easily become greedy and covetous. Do you know in America the lottery thrives in large part because of the greed of the participants? Say, so what do you mean? Uh, greed because it is an excessive compensation without work. Do you understand that get-rich-quick themes thrive in America because of greed? And people want a lot of wealth without uh, hard work and wise choices and patience, which is God's method for obtaining wealth for those He chooses to allow to have it. Do you recognize the danger of greed in your home? Are you avoiding being greedy in your home and in your life with your money and in your relationships and the way you handle things? Listen to me tonight. It is the excessive desire for promotion that has kept many husbands and wives away from their families too much and hindered them living by faith. It is the excessive desire for wealth that has divided many families uh, when someone... Passed out an inheritance. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand, but probably almost every hand here would go up if I would say, you know, listen, if you know some family that was divided in some way over some disagreement in an inheritance that was never fixed, nearly every hand would go up. And behind that, in some way, nearly always is some kind of greed. Excessive and selfish desire to control Everything and everyone has wounded the spirit of many spouses and children. Because someone handled their authority and control greedily. They were heavy-handed. Selfish. You see, we have the wrong idea about greed. Uh, in, In our minds, greedy is something we much more easily attach to others than to ourselves. We attach greed to companies but rarely to our own view of uh, the home and land we dream of having. We attach greed to politicians, but rarely to our own view of titles and promotions. We attach greed to the rich, but rarely to ourselves as common everyday Americans, as if greed was something that was only a danger to those who are very wealthy. The fact of the matter is, is that whether you're rich or poor, greed not only in your money, but in every area of your life can dominate and control your life, and it will destroy your house. And we hurt our marriage, and we hurt our children, and we hurt our parents, and we hurt other people in our family, and we trouble our house if we do not guard against greed. Have you ever seen a child whose arms are filled with toys, and yet they don't want to give up any of them? That's kind of the way our heart is by nature. Greed and covetousness and an unwilling to eagerly share is a part of our fallen nature. Do you know the fact that we always want to compare ourselves among ourselves is one of the things that fuels our greed? 
You know, we really need to get to the place where we don't care how big someone else's house is, what size of car someone else drives, how much 401k they have, or where they go on vacation compared to us. It just doesn't matter. Do you know what? You shouldn't care what the CEO of your company makes. I hear people talking about that, and I always think to myself, why don't you shut up? Listen, uh, if you're a Bengals fan, would you rather have Tom Brady and pay him uh, 20 million bucks or some of the other guys we've had and pay 3 million? If you want a winning team, you better pay a good leader. I remember, uh, and, and again, some of you might not like this, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I used to work for a company, it was a privately held company, and I think our annual sales were uh, in the $40 million range. And there was one guy who was the owner. He was like in his mid-30s. And um, he, one time he went out and bought a new car. And honestly, I didn't know this, but the other people at work were saying that this was a $100,000 car. And they were griping about that and griping about how he had this car. And I just looked at him and I said, listen, I'm glad you got a nice car. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, if he does well, maybe we will. If he does bad, I know I'm going to do bad. And... Once again, they left me. <laughs> Why do you care? Can, can I tell you this? Uh, you live yourself wisely. You live for God. You just give your tithe and balance your life. Behave yourself wisely. And I'm going to tell you this. You will always have enough. Why is your goal all this stuff anyway? Are you defining greed rightly? You see, if we're not careful, we will define greedy as anybody who has more than we do. As I've said here many, many, many times, you know what? American politics thrives on greed. And people trying to get someone to vote to give for someone to take the money from someone else to give to them. That's all motivated by greed. Listen, the average world income is about $10,000. Do you want everything you've taken about made over $10,000 distributed to the world? Well, we don't see through our own greed because greed is always something that companies and rich people do. Listen, it besets us and it will always trouble our house. Do you guard against it creeping into your heart and mind? It is much more dangerous than we often think. And if we allow it place in our heart, it will trouble our house and will leave an inheritance of wind instead of things that matter most to our children and grandchildren. Let me ask you in your home, do you make sharing a priority? Giving. Being charitable. Generous. All those things battle against our own natural tendency to greed. One of the ways God defines behaving wisely in our homes is to recognize and battle the greed of our own heart. How does God define wisdom in our home? He defines it as walking humbly. How does God define wisdom in our home? He defines it as avoiding greed and I have a last thing. Can I go back to chapter 17? We'll spend one more week on wisdom in the house. That is, unless next week as I get to preparing the details of 
the last thing, and don't take two weeks on it. I'm not sure yet. How do I, what characterizes a house of the wise? Uh, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Here's the third thing. Do everything you can to keep your house peaceful. (laughs) You're better to have a dry morsel. Cheap food that's not very good and your home be quiet. Then to have a house full of sacrifice. You've got all kinds of stuff, but your house is filled with strife. And we talked earlier about how pride brings strife and contention into our homes, and we need to seek peace and pursue it. You see, if peaceful is ever going to describe the prevailing environment of our home and our relationships with our family, it is not going to happen by accident. We will need to do everything we can to make and keep peace. Let me ask you, does peaceful describe your home? Now, I didn't say, are there ever flare-ups? Listen, there are always flare-ups. But as a general rule, does peaceful, does that describe your marriage? Does that describe you as a parent? Does that describe you and your family? Does that describe your home? Wise people have a home that's characterized by peace. I hope you're seeking it and pursuing it. Because you can have a peaceful home when you have two people who are trying to please the Lord. And your home will be infinitely more peaceful if even one person is trying to please the Lord. Let me ask you this. Do you seek peace more than wealth? Do you know what happens most of the time? We seek wealth and promotion and we take peace for granted. Is your home peaceful? Listen to this statement. If I ever make another good one, I'll I'll warn you. Money may buy good food in a nice table, but it cannot buy a peaceful and pleasant dinner with your family. Did you hear me? Money may buy good food in a nice table, but it cannot buy a peaceful and pleasant dinner with your family. And by the way, if you are still somebody who has your children at home and, and, they're, and they're younger, I, I really recommend you do everything you can to have your family meals together in the evening. I know it's super difficult when your kids get to be teenagers and things, and, and, and that's all right. Life is not always the same. But it, when, if you still can, I strongly recommend it. Well, one of the greatest things that any parent or grandparent gives their children is a home that's characterized by peace, not strife, not yelling, not accusations, not conflicts. In fact, look what God says about this in chapter 21. By the way, I just want to pause and want to thank God for my wife. She's a peace-loving woman. And early on in our marriage, that made one person in the house that was peace-loving. I got saved five weeks before we got married. It took me some time. By the way, even one person trying to be peaceful makes things way more peaceful. Notice what God says here in Proverbs chapter 21, uh, verse 9. 
It's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Um, God is going to do something with that phrase that he almost never does. Turn up just a bit to chapter 25. Verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. God almost never just repeats himself like that. But this idea of not being a brawling woman or a brawling man makes a big difference. Um, Now, some women are brawling women by nature. Uh, Some women become brawling women because their husband is so unmotivated to do anything unless someone is yelling at him. But either way, whether it's a brawling woman or a brawling man, I'm going to tell you what, you'd be better to live in a tiny apartment with some husband or wife who's peaceful than you would be to be in the largest house you can imagine with a brawling spouse. Now, in another message, I'll take some time on this, but it's kind of an interesting study to look at the different kinds of women described in the book of Proverbs, and men too, for that matter, but this is in the verse here. There's a wise woman and a foolish woman, a brawling woman, a contentious woman, an angry woman, a virtuous woman, a strange woman, an evil woman, a whorish woman, but a brawling woman is a woman who's always looking for something to fight about. And by the way, there's some men like this too. A woman who loves conflict more than she loves peace because peaceful is just a little too boring for her. I remember in one of the marriage classes I was teaching here, uh, someone turned in a question because uh, we were talking about having peace in the home and they described having a peaceful home as just boring monotony. And I thought to myself, my, my word, that is your attitude about peace in your home? I don't know about you, but I always felt like, wow, you know what? I had a lot of contention at work. There's a lot of contention in our society. You know, you just listen to these political candidates and all this stuff going on, and you know what? It just makes you at unease. I don't know about you, but I, all my life, it felt like I was constantly battling Satan and battling my flesh. You know what? I was glad to try to have a peaceful home. And if you're going to have a peaceful home, it's never going to happen by accident. Do you value a peaceful marriage and peaceful relationship with their spouse above a bigger and a nicer house? And if you do, what do you actually do or choose not to do to keep your house and family peaceful? Let me ask you a couple questions. How often are you crabby, short-tempered, and unreasonable? And when you are, what do you blame? Are you ever on the list? What do you do to try to make it better? How often do you bring your problems from work home? 
Uh, when I would leave work, I would literally spend the whole time on my way home praying and talking to God about trying to bring home a better husband and a better dad because I didn't feel like my wife, who waited for me to come home from work, and our kids when they were young who waited for me to come home from work, needed a crabby old guy uh, to walk in the door. Do you selfishly and carelessly handle your money, creating all kinds of conflict over money? Do you love your spouse and children and parents enough to treat them with respect? Disrespect always is the enemy of peace. Is your dinner table for the most place of, for the most part a place of peace, laughter, communication, and bonding? Do, do you turn your phone off? Do, do you just have some time? Where if you don't turn it off, you set it aside and nobody looks at Facebook and nobody checks their email and nobody looks at their texts and and nobody takes their phone calls. When you just stop and face to face, have a peaceful family moment. It's really, really obvious to me that it is wise to do everything we can to keep our homes peaceful and our relationships good. And this is never going to happen if as parents you publicly conflict over your children in front of your children. It is never going to happen when you do not treat each other with respect and dignity. It is never going to happen when people say everything that comes to mind in a conflict. It is never going to happen without the Lord Jesus in your life. He must make your heart new, and you must yield to him, because he is the Prince of Peace. And when you and I yield to him, not only are we saved, but we are living a life yielded to God's Spirit. Can our home be peaceful like it should? Are you behaving yourself wisely? In your home. Those are the homes God blesses. Humility. Generosity instead of greed. And loving peace. Do you know what? We can choose all those. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, you know what? You don't have a lot of potential to have peace in your home because the Lord's not in your life yet. And you need to repent of your sins and believe on Him and be saved. And if you are saved, you need to just simply decide, you know what? This was not the heritage that I was given when I was grown up. But this is the heritage I'm going to give my children and grandchildren. When my children are in my house and when my grandchildren are in my presence, I am going to be walking humbly, I'm going to be walking generously, and I'm going to be seeking peace. Amen? If you'd quietly stand tonight, God wants to bless your home.